Welcome to Season 5, Episode 5 of The Modern Extractor. This podcast focuses on the processes, equipment, and science found inside a cannabis extraction laboratory. I'm your host, Jason Showered, and I work professionally in the cannabis extraction field. If you guys are finding value in the show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd be so kind as to leave me a review on Apple or Google Podcasts. The reviews you leave really do help out the cause over here by having me show up just a little bit higher in those search results, and they keep the great guests coming for future episodes. I'm very proud to announce that I've recently partnered with Eco Green Industries. They're a fantastic nationwide supplier of high-quality extraction solvents, extraction-grade gas blends, and lab consumables. I personally use them as my ethanol supplier when I was running my lab, and they really are a class act. They're a little bit closer to the source than many of the other solvent suppliers out there, and they've been in the high volume and wholesale game for some time now. Because of the volumes of the solvents and gases they're moving, their pricing is always competitive, and they have great logistics nationwide. Their customer service is phenomenal, and you get a human who actually cares about your order and is willing to work with you every time you call. So the next time you need some high-quality solvents or extraction-grade gas in your lab, give EGI a buzz and see for yourself. Use the promo code MODEX, that's M-O-D-E-X, online, or mention the Modern Extractor on the phone and you'll get 10% off your first order, and I'll earn a few bucks from each purchase to help keep the lights on over here at Modern Extractor Studios. I've personally used EcoGreen's products, done a ton of business with them over the years, and it's a company that I'm happy to attach my reputation to. You can check them out online at ecogreenindustries.com or give them a call at 530-378-4443. If you do place an order with this promo code, shoot me an email, jason at modernextractor.com. I'd be happy to return the favor any way that I can, from a quick chat about process optimization to helping connect you to folks in my network that may be great contacts for whatever you are trying to accomplish. Last week on the show, we talked to Dinkelberg of Backcountry Cultures about the science and techniques behind mushroom extraction. We covered various extraction methods and discussed detailed SOPs for each. It was a fantastic episode. Highly recommend giving it a listen if you haven't already. This week on the show, I am joined by an absolute legend in the cannabis distillation game. For years, the Breaking Dabs distillation tech thread on Future 4200 was the most advanced and detailed information you could find on distillation of cannabinoids. Because of that, it brought many a great mind from our industry into the conversation to contribute. This thread was the place to be on the cutting edge of cannabis distillation as the industry was emerging. I had unsuccessfully reached out to Breaking Dabs online about coming onto the show on multiple occasions. Then I finally get a chance to meet him at one of Carbon Chemistry's carbon bonding events after the Extraction Expo in LA. I'd like to thank Catherine Sidman for the introduction, and I'd like to take this chance to recommend her podcast, Chat with Sidco Cat. After a conversation over this beautiful charcuterie spread, I finally convinced Breaking Dabs to come do the show. The condition was that it was recorded in person. So fast forward a month or two, he came to the house, and I turned the guest room into a makeshift recording studio, and we had a great conversation. It actually lasted about four hours, so I cut some things out and edited it down to two episodes. Today is the first of those two. So, without any further ado, I would love to say something that I've been waiting a very long time to say. Breaking Dabs, welcome to the Modern Extractor. Uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. I'm excited to be able to get you onto the show. Uh, been trying for a long time. You told me no a couple of times first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't usually do interviews. Uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff I've I've talked to, they're uh, 
it just doesn't seem, you know, level of professional, but we've met a couple times in person. I was like, oh, you know, maybe this could work. This could work. Yeah, well, I, I certainly appreciate it. It was uh, it was a long time coming, and we've, uh, you know, been going back and forth a little bit on getting it done. So the, the, the one thing that's very different in this scenario is uh, this is the first time that I've ever had someone in my house recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the middle of a pandemic, too. It's like we, you know, when you should be safe, we decided to do it this way anyway. <laughs> Well, I think we're at least six feet apart. Yeah, technically, yes. Yes, these microphones are forcing that. <laughs> um, for any of the folks that are out there that don't know the name Breaking Dabs, they're kind of have to have been hiding under a rock for a little while. So uh, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to claim any type of level of pride or ego on that one. But uh, yeah, when it, if, you've, if you've started to make anything as far as extraction or beyond, uh, I mean, I'm always been here to help. And that's usually why people get turned on to me is they're just like, if you need help and you need a question answered, typically you can answer, you can ask me and I'll answer within 12 hours, no matter what it is. And so that's, what's been the benefit I think for a lot of people than why I'm known, you know, by anyone is, is specifically extractors and beyond. It's the person that's buying the product and actually smoking the product doesn't necessarily know me. I've, I've actually gone into a lot of dispensaries they don't have a clue who I am. And I'm just like, oh, I'm breaking dabs. And they're like, huh? Okay. You're like, like if you only knew how yeah. much my work has affected the quality of the yeah. products that and are I mean, on your shelves. If I'm like really going, oh, man, how do you not know me? I mean, that's a, that's a level of ego too. But at the same time, I'm like, it's interesting that the person smoking doesn't have a clue. But the person making it is usually the person going, I need help. I need free consulting. I can't pay for this. I need to put you know food on my plate this month. Talk to them. So – that's why I'm well known, I think, personally. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you certainly came on my radar as soon as I got involved with distillation. Yeah. My first go-to was I'm going to go to Future 4200 and try to figure out what's going on and read the forums and all this. And the the Breaking Dabs distillation tech was, was yeah. the one. That was funny, too, because I think, I think uh, Future had messaged me about um, putting something up there like that, and I just kind of – it was a blanket thing, but I had already had planned on making my own website. I, I'm not even sure what the timeline is for that, but I was writing my website for about three months. And what I put up there was real basic understanding, but it wasn't the beginning for me. But it, if you were looking at the page and the forum and whatnot, and forums are more your thing, Future 4200 was the way to go, you know. But if you had the Instagram before that, I mean, I was doing a lot of stuff for years before that one, before that came out. But the yeah the distillation tech I kind of I'm always kind of a little cringy on it because I'm like I don't even remember what I wrote like to be honest it was just <laughs> I, I I typically for stuff like that I would just off the top of my head go through things when we did the website originally I was sitting there and and doing the math and when we I printed it out before and the website is about 300 pages of distillation tech versus the idea of the the forum is more of a, a just kind of a quick thing. So, yeah, I, I mean, I went back and started reading it last night just to kind of brush oh, really? up a little bit for the interview. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a little a, embarrassed. I don't know what I said. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. It was basically it was really like I was just sitting there smiling, reading back through all the stuff because you can see really the evolution of things. Like you, you wrote a bunch of great SOPs up there and then all these smart people from future started chiming in. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, you could see this organic thing kind of like take shape. And over the years that this thread goes, it's just 
as it goes along. It just There's gets still better and better. people messaging and commenting on that? Yeah, I, I 12 don't go days on the ago. Forum, really? Yeah, somebody wow. was talking on that thread 12 days ago. Wow, I haven't been on the forum in quite a while because, I, I mean, at this point, most of the stuff I use, I already know. I, there's not anything I'm trying to, like, really go after. And, I mean, I... I think my community, because it was before the future 4200, if I need to learn something, I just go refer to a person on Instagram and I just ask them directly, how are you doing this in this picture? Mm -hmm. And more or less, most people will be pretty open with me. And that's probably not common for a lot of people, especially with, you know, something that is mostly secret, but it's because either I'll try to add something to it or they know you've given a lot here, I'll give you this. And yeah. I'm just like, if you don't feel like telling me, don't tell me, but I'm not gonna tell anyone if you tell me not to tell anyone because it's your tech. Mm -hmm. And I understand how important it is to try and keep things for yourself or I mean, what it means to create something on your own. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of work to actually figure it out, not only just to the point where you, you get it or you get it to happen every once in a while versus like every time. I mean, that's, that takes effort. Yeah, ironing, ironing it out, getting those SOPs down. It's yeah. what it's all about. It's what we're all striving to do, working in a lab. When, yeah. Well, if you're not, you shouldn't be working in a lab. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's the idea of being able to repeat something multiple times, and you need that person. That You know, there's there's somebody who does the R&D to create a new subject matter, and that's what I've done. But there's also somebody that needs to do the same thing over and over and over again, and I'm not that person. Yeah. Know. Well, I mean, the fun part is developing the process, and then you hand to it us. to the guy that wants to. Some people crank like it out. to just go to work, do their thing, go home, and not think about it. I, I mean, for us, it's probably one of those things where you're thinking about it when you get home. Oh yeah, and it my never brain's really goes not away. wired for that. No yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. Although. So there are times when you're just like, man, I wish I could just turn it off like some of these folks and like hang up the job at the door on the way out the door. That was my three-month trip. I mean, and actually besides the three-month trip, that was like, that was something where I didn't want to talk about cannabis. I tried not to go visit anybody. I did visit one lab in, in Montana, which they were like right outside where I was visiting. So it was like, uh, all right, I'll spend half a day. My buddy's at work. This is perfect. But um, overall, when I go to certain events that are not related to cannabis, I specifically will walk away from a conversation where somebody wants to talk about weed and I'm like, I'm out, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. There's so much more to life. Yeah. Um, speaking of life, you've got an incredibly interesting story leading up to the point where you got into what we're here to talk about today, which is weed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, t talk to me a little bit about your start and like how things evolved into you becoming Breaking Dabs. Uh, so where do I start? Do you want me to start at the beginning of cannabis or at the beginning of, I um, mean, long time ago, my mom met my dad. No. Um, yeah. I remember being, no, no, that's bad. <laughs> um, uh, you know, just wherever it would be pertinent, maybe to the listeners of the modern extractor. Yeah. I mean, as, as far as where I can probably begin that it makes sense is when I moved to Santa Cruz. I moved to Santa Cruz because I was heavily into drugs in LA and really just going down a bad path. Was pushed out of uh, the family house, was um, my girlfriend broke up with me, I, the band broke up, you know, everything was just going to hell. And I had a friend up in Santa Cruz who was like, come up here, come get sober. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd been on drugs every day for years and I was like 22 years old. And I needed to just like fix all this. Yeah, so I moved up. He said, you can have this room, no rent for like six months, whatever you need. Just get sober, be a good person. I enjoy you as a person. You need to be here. And this is what's going to help. So 
I went up there. I learned that World of Warcraft was more addictive than heroin. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I worked on that for a solid year. I got myself sober physically. And then the next few years was learning how to actually be in social environments without being on drugs. Because I'm autistic to the point of like being on the spectrum and actually didn't really speak until I was about 20 years old. Um, I could go a couple weeks without speaking. I would use the minimal amount of words. I often stuttered or would mumble because I just, I didn't like speaking and it was hard for me and listening to people actually would give me kind of this burning headache in the front of my head. So through the help of LSD and psychedelics, I learned how to speak well on LSD and that actually helped propel me into being able to be that level of social, but, but not having... I would have so much anxiety in, uh, in public, uh, or in any situation. And this constant fear of bring up the next subject. What's the next subject? Be, be interesting. And I was so worried about it that I would often just forget to talk or, or just run into just complete dead ends with people. And so with the help of my friend out there, um, I decided that I needed to really start pursuing life, you know, versus just how far down this rabbit hole of hell with the drugs and stuff I could go. So I got a job downtown working on guitars and pretty much just fell into the music scene and just really just fell completely into it. I was working 40 hours, 60 hours, didn't matter how many hours. I wanted to be involved in music. I mean, I was working at a music store and literally right next door was the venue. I got a job doing sound there first and then eventually doing security as well. So I'd run the stage um, you know, one night and then on the weekends I would do security for the bigger stage because it actually has two stages in that place. So I ran the, um, ran between those two stores and I could walk home. Like it was just a perfect little environment for a number of years. And then at one point, um, I got, I got in a band and we got a tour with Guar and I decided, you know, we're, we're going to do this. This is going to be music is where I'm going to go. We're going to be able to make it. I mean, tour Guar took us under their, their wing because we were another band where we wore full costumes and everything. And what year were you touring with Guar? I believe that was 2013. It was Brocky's last year. Um, he died actually like two months after we got off tour. Man, um, I actually might have seen you play. I've where? seen Guar twice. I don't know where it was. I, I used to tour doing front of house and monitors for audio. Yeah. And we'd be out on the road for three months in the spring and three months in the fall. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I'd be out and about doing that. And the company, the, the trucking company that was hauling our tour was also hauling Guar. It was Ozark <laughs> Mountain Leasing. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah Dale yeah. Henry. Um, I just so, remember the, the uh, trucks and everything. Yeah. So, OML, whenever uh, FMA would, would cross paths with any of the shows that were out under OML's umbrella, we got to go hang out and get worker passes and yeah. backstage. It was awesome. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the, it was, I think it was the fall and winter time in 2013. I, I want to say 2012, but I'm pretty sure it was 2013. Um, and I mean, we toured all of us and Canada. We were everywhere. Every night was at least six to eight hours of driving, which, you know, Guar had their own driver and, uh, they were, you know, they were a level. We did this like bare bones. I mean, I, I rebuilt the trailer. Um, we had this rinky-dink, like, little 
box trailer that had been slammed in the back by a vehicle. So I had to rebend the bars, had to take those in, get those fixed. It had, the top had been scraped off uh, from hitting like a top of a uh, tree or something. And so I had to put buckets up there with like some real serious tape and like just make this thing work. <laughs> and then inside built shelving for all of our costumes because we had to separate those because who wants one person's goo on their costume? Yeah. And we made it work. I mean, we rented an RV and we each took turns driving. You know, oftentimes, I mean, a little, a little mad about it, but I ended up driving most of the trip. But to be <laughs> honest, like, uh, that was part of the benefit is I got to see so many different places where I'm just, like, driving at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you guys are so not seeing this. And it's, like, I feel great. Like, I'm sitting here enjoying this and I'm like – you guys don't even know what you're missing. Like, yeah. this is perfect. As Driving they snore in the back. What's that? As they snore in the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was unreal. It was, it was such a great trip. Um, but I, I – so I got to that point. Um, but at the end of the tour, I mean, if you can imagine showering maybe once or twice a week and getting like $5 of food per day if you didn't eat with guar, which was usually two to three times a week maybe um, – and the showering part and then wearing these costumes all the time, we were at each other's throats. And we'd never done anything like this. We'd done the weekend warrior thing where you go like, oh, let's go play a couple of venues like in, in Vegas or something or down in L.A. You know, but we'd never done anything this serious. And so by the end of it, we all just crashed. I mean, it, it, it ruined, ruined – I don't know if it ruined the band, but it showed us that we were not ready. Um, and so the band took a different direction, and I got off tour and decided I was, I was done with the band. And I didn't know what to do. I had – I'd quit my job of six and a half years in order to go on tour. I also quit it for other reasons too, but I just decided I'm done with that. I got off tour. I had no money, but I had this giant shop and had all these skills of working on guitars, knives. You know, I could make anything I wanted. I mean, I was playing with alchemy in my my basement at one point with, uh, you know, distilling mercury because that's all smart. And I decided that I was like, what am I supposed to do? And a friend of mine called me up. And asked me, hey, are you 420 friendly? I remember that was the first sentence he said after saying, hey, man, how you doing? And I was like, what's 420? <laughs> I literally had no idea what 420 meant. And he's like, you know, are you, are you, are you down with weed? I'm like, uh, I mean, weed's cool, you know, whatever. You know, I, I'd stopped smoking. When I stopped doing drugs, I stopped everything. Like, I, I drank because it was a social thing to do, but I never really – I, I never really looked back. I mean, psychedelics every once in a while, I'd take you know, a little trip. But for the most part, I just tried to separate myself from it because it didn't take me anywhere good. So okay. I I said, sure, yeah, it's it's fine. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt other people. They seem like they're good people, whatever. He's like, well, I got this job. You know, we're trying to get this legal operation going. And we've got these machines and we need people to run the machines. I was like, well, I have no job right now. How much does it pay? And he told me the pay, and I was like, oh, um, I will take that job, sir. Anything you want, you know. Um, and it was paying almost double what I was making, you know, working on guitars. And I was like, wait, I'm not going to be a poor musician the rest of my life. I have options. Yeah, right. So they pulled me into this room. There was supposed to be – I was there the second day of what was supposed to be the consulting from the company um, who had brought the machine in. And what, what kind of a machine was this? Yeah, I was like, do I name the machine? Um, oh, I mean, I mean, just the general style of machine. It was supercritical like. CO two from Eden Labs, okay. and I was there with with the second day of consulting, and I really didn't get any training. Um, they had like fifteen people there with me. We were all huddled in a room, not much bigger than this, and there was this big machine that's just going. Dish, dish, 
constantly. And there was a big compressor in the other room screaming at me. It sounded like a dragon going off every once in a while. And I'm like, I, this is not music. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that beat is pretty much 80 BPM, but still, that's about <laughs> all I got here. <laughs> what year was this? Uh, this was, I mean, so this was the winter, the winter of, of 2013, I had got off tour. I think they finally got the lab set up in March, 2014. Okay. I think that's either that or it was the year prior, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was around that. And that was my first real experience. I mean, I would say that I've seen people blast BHO before and I'm like, interesting. I'm going to go back to making knives. That looks scary. But <laughs> yeah. you know, that was about my only experience with extraction other than what I'd done prior when I was younger, playing with other things, because, you know, when you're making drugs or when you're doing drugs, you kind of want to figure out how to make drugs sometimes. So, yeah. you know, I was playing around with stuff, but none of that really mattered comparably because this, this machine was like $250,000. You know, this was not like some little toy. You got or, a Cadillac that you're about to start driving. Oh, um, this was like <laughs> a top fuel car to me. Like I, I was just like, why am I getting in front of this machine? But the guy who was telling me the pay was so good. I'm like, I might as well try this. I, I might be good at it. I have no idea. And I was really interested in, in engineering. If I didn't go into music, I was either going to be a chemist or an engineer. I mean, my, my chemistry teacher in high school was pissed when I told her I was going to do music because I got a five on the AP exam. I mean, I, I flew through all the chemistry. It made sense to me. Um, I loved engineering stuff. I, I built stuff as a kid. Do you think that uh, you mentioned earlier that you were on the autism spectrum? Do you think that part of that is what makes you so good at learning these things and putting all of this stuff together and kind of being a savant at what you choose to do? Sure. I mean, uh, personally, I don't like using a uh, using something like that to describe it because I think anybody is possible. Anybody is capable of doing anything they want to do if they really want to do it, okay. but. I would say that there's probably a developmental thing that goes on with my brain because I didn't have the social aspects of my frontal lobe is kind of crap that other aspects like took over. It's kind of like that you lose one sense, you got a bunch of other ones mm -hmm. uh, that are stronger. And so I'd say, sure, yes. Um, I have always been able to focus on looking at some, something and if I understand how it works, I could blow it up in my brain, like literally a, a, di a diagram. Mm -hmm. So for me, looking at this machine and being able to do it, that's immediately what I started doing was I just started taking it apart in my How head. How does that work? Yeah, because it had about 15 different valves. I think they were literally labeled one to 15. Or I think it might've been up to 22. Um, and it had no sight glasses. I mean, we're talking 2000 PSI. So there's no way you're going to be able to tell what's going in. You just put material in and you have to wait 12 hours and what you what comes out hopefully will be what you expected. Yeah. And so I sat in front of this machine the rest of the day. Everybody left, and I was like, can I just stare at this thing? I, I wasn't here yesterday. All I saw was the product that came out and no real understanding of it. So that was my real foot in the, the industry was just complete looking at something like it was completely foreign and just going, I need to learn this because they're paying me. They're looking to pay me really well. And it's worth my time at that point. That's funny. When I first got my first still, uh, it was a stainless steel Chemtech unit, uh, mm -hmm. KD, well, mini five with all the upgrades that almost made it a KD six, mm -hmm. um, Chemtech. And so it's all stainless steel. I'm new to the industry. I got brought in because I was a guy that could make stuff work as well. Yeah. And so here comes this. This is the most complicated piece of equipment that we've got. We've made it all the way through the ethanol extraction process. And now now we've got this crude. We decarbed mm -hmm. it, figured all that stuff out. Now it's time to distill it. 
And unfortunately, we didn't get our electrical done in time for uh, Jay Horton, who has been on the show a couple of times, good friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, in- install guy for uh, for Chemtech. And all around awesome distiller. But uh, yeah, so Jay comes through and we're not ready. So he's like, okay, well, you know, I guess I'll teach a class. So he yeah. gave us like a rundown of a class about it. And, and you know, it, he explained things well. But then as soon as he left and we got up and running, I just sat there. Everybody would go home and I would sit in front of this machine and just with my hand on my chin thinking about, okay, what's going on in there? Why is this changing? Why is this mm-hmm. doing that or this or the other thing? So it was, uh, you know, very much the same thing that you just described with not wanting to leave. I think learning on a machine where you can't see anything going on and you have to use your imagination really makes everything else easier. When I switched over to Short Path, I mean, I could see what was going on. And it was like, I no longer have to imagine. Now I just get to push buttons and then try things. Mm-hmm. But he called me in kind of part of the reason why he called me in is I was that person that was doing weird stuff. I mean, Distilling Mercury, he came down there. I mean, I'm pretty sure he had a PBR in his hand. He was just like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, over here, I'm working on knives. That's to be do the side work for guitars because I, I had a home shop because I I made a certain amount at the shop doing guitars, and I made a certain amount doing um, the sound and working on security. But living in Santa Cruz, it's like one of the most expensive places to live in the U.S. And there's only way to survive is to you know, work as many jobs as you can. And I was trying to do more than survive. Granted, I was barely doing more. And it was really doing more was allowing me to explore more hobbies, which was the the uh, alchemy. I was buying mercury. I mean, who, <laughs> who in their right mind paying for a $650 room is deciding they want to buy a hot plate and mercury and want to distill that. I mean, I don't even know if that's legal to talk about doing. <laughs> I don't think you can do it anymore or buy it. Uh, it was hard to buy. I, I mean, you can get anything you want if you talk to the right people. I mean, consider getting <laughs> antibiotics. You can find them on the internet. You can have them delivered to your house. If it exists, you can make it happen. But And and if you're passionate, it's like, it's like finding – it's like doing something that you really want to do no matter what, if you put the focus in, you'll be able to do it. Yeah, for sure. So, you need a t-shirt. You can find anything you want if you know the right people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's 100% true. And so he came down and he saw that. And so years later, he's like, I know the guy to call. And I was one of 15 people. But within a week, um, there was me and two other people. Like everybody else was like, no way. So – I took over most of the day and evening shift because I would work any hours they gave me. I'll work it. I don't care. I have been homeless. I am not going to do that again. Like I, I refuse to allow myself to get to the point of being homeless and that's my drive. Um, but with, with that job, you know, there was a guy who was the overnight crew who would be there when I was sleeping and it was me during the week. And sometimes I'd have weekends off, but oftentimes like they would get mad at me because of the amount of overtime I do. And I'm like, I'm the only one here, man. You've got a manager who kind of works, and then you've got the overnight guy who's, I don't know what he's doing when he's here, but I'm cleaning up after him. So it was mostly me running that lab. And I know that story. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's that's a lot of people's story when it comes to running a lab. We got started, and then I just ran everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are the people that are still around that you're talking to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, they're, they're probably a little tired, <laughs> and they'd rather it not be that way. But, you know, you, you – if you really want to eat, you have to work for it. And, you know, if you really want to eat well, you're going to have to work hard. And 
it's the drive that keeps you going. I mean, I yeah, couldn't. fascination. You know, like I think I think we're all everybody that I talk to that's still working in in this world is still kind of fascinated by what's going on. Yeah. I mean, when that dries up, you get a little less drive and it makes it's more of making a widget. But like when you're experimenting and doing new things, especially with when you were doing it, when look the cutting edge development part of this whole thing for cannabis. So I think that's huge, you know? Like it's it's a big deal to be yeah, uncharted luck, territory. Luckily, the company actually allowed me to experiment constantly because I was the only one there. And they said, they had told me at the beginning, whoever milks the cow and gets the most milk will get paid more. And I was like, I'm all for that. I've been homeless. I'm not doing it again, to reiterate. So I constantly experimented. I have probably, I don't know if I still have the uh, stack, but I have a stack about, well, I'm holding my hands up about 12 inches tall. <laughs> and uh, it's it's just process logs. Every day, the experiments I did, exactly what I did, what I got, what I did, what I got. And they would be temperatures and pressures and sensors on everything because yeah. it had a, quite a few sensors. But when I learned that I could search for these things on like Amazon and whatnot, and they would purchase it, like they, they bought me chemistry books. They bought me college books, anything I wanted because I was doing so much of the work and learning it. Like they're like, we could sit back and this guy runs the machine. We he, If the guy had a problem at night, they made it so that I would get paid an hour or two of time if he called me for 10 minutes nice. at like two in the morning he calls me i pick up because i don't i wake up to anything and i don't really need sleep a lot um there's a whole story on that one but uh he would call me at any time i could answer a question and that kind of was the beginning of me being available you know i'd taught how to build guitars in la so i kind of had an understanding of how to teach somebody to do something. And oftentimes I'll explain something three different ways and they'll get it one of the ways. And I'm like, cool, we're done here. But yeah. like, if you explain, I've realized that if you explain something only your way or only a way that explains it in one term, people don't necessarily get it. And they don't necessarily know to ask questions because they seem so sure of your confidence that they should get it, that they're like, yeah, I understand. And you're just, you're left with them not knowing. And you can always tell if you look at somebody for long enough while you're explaining something that they're either understanding or they're not. Yeah. So if you tell them a couple different ways and then you see that and you're like, cool, we're done. But yeah, trying to explain to somebody who's running this machine who doesn't know much about it or just babysitting really is what he was doing. Just how to understand what was going on wasn't really essential, which valve to turn was. Yeah. And yeah. so you have to be quick because 2000 PSI is not something you really want to screw around with. No. Uh, I mean, we've had um, at least one person that I know, you know, RIP, who um, was experimenting with CO2 and didn't survive the incident. And I don't think he was near the pressures I was playing with. You know, granted, this machine was capable. I mean, they had told me, at least, that it was capable of hand handling five times the amount of pressure that we were working with. So the safety levels were there. But granted, like, when that thing blew a seal... I've never heard anything scream quite like it. Like I probably have lost quite a bit of hearing from that because it would blow seals every couple of days until we realized that there was a schedule you had to put it on for seal changes. Okay. So you just, you know, you live and learn on that one. But I haven't had the chance to play with any CO2 equipment in person. I've seen a bunch of it set up at trade shows and whatnot, but I've never actually played with it. I'm very interested because it seems like it's making a little bit of a resurgence. Yeah, there's there's a lot of understanding that we had at the beginning of what it was good at and what it wasn't. But because the prices of things were so high, it was kind of worth it at the time. And when the prices started dropping for a lot of the cannabis products, you 
pretty much saw them be put aside because you couldn't make very much volume. But when people realized the other uses of them, I mean, they have such a benefit. I mean, the, the benefits I've found of CO2 is very selective. Um, depending on the pressures and temperatures you do things at, it could come out with all different products because mm -hmm. the it's polar and nonpolar depending on – and it's, it's really just – I imagine it based on the density. So I, I used to staple up – um, papers on the wall. There's a, a website called Peace Software CO2 um, uh, CO2 um, I think I just call it Supercritical CO2 Peace Software is what I write into Google. I mean people if, want, if they want to actually search that, that's what I usually search and it pops up with this, this um, it asks you like four questions and from those four questions it'll tell you all the different characteristics of the CO2 and so I would write in there different pressures and temperatures and look at all the different variables. And then I would look at my process log, and this is how I, I backtracked the understanding of what was going on in the machine. I would look at the process log and see what products I got. And then I would compare it and try to figure out what things matched the reason for that. So oftentimes it ended up being the density. So based on the density of the CO2, it will pull from the nonpolar to the polar. So the more density you have, the more polar it'll pull over. And based on that, I can tell you that you can probably get the product you want if you wanted to play with CO2 because you just work your way back down. Yeah, I've uh, I've talked to Randy Reed about it on the show, and he is a big proponent of what he calls uh, fractional extraction yeah. as opposed to fractional distillation. Yep. You're just taking it out in different yeah, ways. it's selective. You can yeah. choose what you want. You can't choose the middle, obviously, but if you wanted to work your way, like fraction-wise, like a distillation would go, like you'd pull off your lighter boilers and work your way back, um, it works exactly the same. Yeah, some uh, some interesting stuff. I'm, I hope to play with some CO2 machines one of these days just so I can get my hands on everything. I mean, if, if anything, it might have some benefits in the uh, other industries that involve the uh, pharmaculture. <laughs> with uh, -huh, uh -huh. with mushrooms and whatnot because you I mean it's it's totally possible to extract that and I haven't seen anybody do it but I'm curious because I actually I went to the psychedelic science conference in Denver maybe four or five months ago um, and I watched Dr. John McKay talk about extraction of mushrooms using CO2 oh really yeah so it does um, exist it's yeah it's a it's a thing he was not he was not very clear as far as like these are direct SOPs, but it was a little bit more of a broad situation. I, I mean, that's the problem with SOPs in general. I feel like an SOP really, there is no one way. Mm -hmm. There's no one way to skin a cat. There's a machine in a room and the moon is here. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's totally. my way of describing like, the, I can't write you a wiper SOP. I can't write you a short path. I know what I see at different variables. So if I have this pressure, and uh, we'll see it at this temperature with this tall of a head with distillation. If I have this machine, I'll see these things. But like with CO2, I mean, depending on how many accurate readings you have, things will come out one way or not. Uh, so direct SOPs don't really work. I mean, I, I don't know what pressures I would work with with uh, mushrooms necessarily, but I know I've worked with coffee and like we did kava and we did uh, lavender. Lavender was beautiful. 
Um, I mean, you'd, you'd open up the FAC and pull out the product and the whole building would just smell like lavender. That's cool. And I mean, a little goes a long way with that stuff too. You got my attention with the coffee. What was, what was the end product looking like? So CO2 actually came, I don't know if it came from the coffee industry, but it was, it's exclusively used in the uh, coffee industry to decaffeinate. So you can pull off the caffeine and you can pull off some of the flavors too. So, and I mean, that'll tell you a lot with, when it comes to what you can do with cannabis as well. Yeah. Uh, but with that, you could also then take some of the products of the uh, coffee and reintroduce them into extracts of cannabis. And I believe the, um, the consultant that was there initially had told us that one of the products that they had made with coffee and cannabis had won a cannabis cup because it actually introduced like really interesting flavors from the coffee into the cannabis so that you can get, you know, your, your morning smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so where were we as far as, uh, as far as history goes, you were, you were the guy sitting in front of the machine Ah, uh, yeah. and, uh, and then, and then what, where did it go from there? So about two and a half years later, I had gone through running this machine, making good money, still living in Santa Cruz, but I wanted something more because I'm, I knew this machine, but I'm always searching for. A, a different way. I mean, I was working on knives. I'd never taken a class on how to make knives. So I wanted to be able to run my own machine or, you know, at least make enough money to start providing for the possibility of family or just being a little bit more comfortable because I was still kind of living paycheck to paycheck, but my apartment was nicer. You know, that was, that was the level I was at still. And I got introduced to a possible partnership and the partnership uh, didn't work. It lasted about four or five months. I put everything into it. I bought a school bus and I was going to live in the school bus wherever we put the lab because I'll just be there 24 seven. I will be the person that's putting in, I don't have any money. So I'll be the sweat equity, you know, person because I have the knowledge. I want to do this, but this guy has the money. And we had another guy who was willing to figure out distribution and whatnot. And this is still in the, um, what was the, uh, oh, what was the, the law at the time? Was it 215? Prop 215. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 215. yeah, that rolls off the tongue, right? <laughs> um, so Prop 215 was still in effect. So we were in this gray area, and I'm not a paperwork person. I've been doing guitars. Like the most paperwork I ever did was a, an order sheet for what somebody wanted to have repaired. I mean, I, I didn't even do my own taxes. H&R blocked it. So he was supposed to be handling all that. And we got to the point where I bought the bus, went full in. And, I mean, I don't want to get too much into his personal life, but he kind of lost his mind. And I had to leave really quickly because I had no other options. I'd put all my money into the subject and was like, oh, crap, I'm screwed. I'm not going to be homeless again. So I called up the consultant who had originally worked on um, the first company with their CO2 machine. He had a job up in Sacramento that was available. So, and it was a $4 pay cut, but to be honest, I was like, I need something. I don't care. So I moved from Santa Cruz to Sacramento in my bus uh, with my girlfriend at the time. And I was working there as much as I possibly could. And I didn't know it at the time, but he had brought me up because he didn't really know what he was doing. The initial consulting that he had done at the place was really bare bones and it was only a one trick pony. And they couldn't figure out why they were only getting crap product. And that's why I had really succeeded in that company and they would give me anything I needed is because I figured out how to get good product regardless of what he had taught. Because I'm not the type of person that to always take what somebody says as face value. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's the only way. I will try other pressures because I know they're safe. 
I went down in pressure. I never went up. I knew 2000 was the limit, but because all of our check valves and everything would go off if you went too high, the safety valves, but I went down. So I'd play with it a lot, but I didn't know it at the time when I went to this lab, um, he was bringing me in to save his ass. I don't know if I can say that word, but he uh, was bringing me to save me. Say anything you want. <laughs> yeah, say anything. Um, so he was bringing me in to try and fix the problems he had created. He had brought in six new employees. Um, he was getting way too much uh, CO2 gas. He was producing the worst color oil. The company, I found out, had lost $100,000 in one month when he arrived, like, or when he took over and did all this stuff. They were like, we need something. And so he was bringing me in as that fix. And so within two weeks, the oil color changed. The boss had come through with a bunch of investors, potential investors. And I was there working and I was explaining something to one of the uh, the other people. Cause I was, I was like, you guys don't know what you're doing. And so I was there basically training them and going, come on, do your job so that I can do my job. Like this isn't that hard, but I had been doing it by myself for two and a half years. So to me, all I had to do was just get them on my level of, of just doing it my way. And then things were going to work. So I was fixing something with a, one of the other employees and the boss came in and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, Oh, we have to do this process. He's like, I've never seen that done. And I'm like, well, you need to, this is part of the whole thing. And he's, and he went back to the, uh, to one of the other people in charge and was like, who is this guy that's in my lab? Cause he, he didn't, he wasn't part of it. He was just an investor. And, uh, so the, I was in the truck driving to the farm to go get more material when with my boss, cause I was, that was part of my new job too, was I was going to be driving to go get more material. I was doing whatever he needed me to do because it meant hours. So I was driving with him he got a call and I could overhear the conversation and it went something like, um, I'm, you know, I can't take all the credit. Uh, I brought in this guy. He's, you know, he's the reason why the oil has changed and everything. And it was like, okay, cool. Pack your stuff. He's taking your job. And it simply happened within two weeks. I suddenly had my manager's job and I took over from making $16 an hour to suddenly having a very big salary. And right on. I, it was the first time I had made good money in my entire life. Like I remember picking up that paycheck and being like, I get to walk home with what I used to make in a year. <laughs> you know, it was, it was pretty crazy. And so I ran that place and fixed as much as I possibly could. I was getting the SOP. I got the SOP done. We got the CUP license. Like we, all we had to do was pay for the license. And then suddenly, right in the middle of December, I think it was, it was only like 2014 or 15. It was only, I was only there for about eight or 10 months. And suddenly I got, I called the boss, uh, the actual owner of the company and like right after Christmas and was like, Hey, so where's my paycheck? I know we're moving to that new location. Like what's going on? And he's like, Oh, we liquidated. We're done. Sorry. I'm like, well, I, I worked the last two weeks. Where's the paycheck from that? And he's like, we liquidated everything, man. Um, yeah, don't don't know what to tell you. Sorry. Right after Christmas, bought presents, had all my money planned out. I thought I was good, and I had about ten thousand dollars saved, and I had no job, and I needed to make rent the next month, which wasn't that. So from the bus, I and during that time, I had gotten a place to live because I was making enough money, but mm -hmm. I still kept the bus because you know, gotta have a giant bus. Why not? Everybody's gotta I have. Got a camper van in my driveway. Why yeah, not? You know, yeah, <laughs> they might want to do something. They're with essential. Someday. Or if you know, every the 
economy collapses, you might need that thing to go on the road and become Mad Max. It says Plan B on the license plate. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no. It should. <laughs> Although Plan B might take it, be taken a different way. Um, but so I had a friend who wanted to start a company. Um, uh, he was going to be able to do sales. And I was like, okay, I've got this amount of money. I know how to do this barely. And this was short path. I'd never done short, or I'd done short path for like three or four weeks. I'd flipped the company from just CO2 to making also distillate. But I had only had like 10 or 15 two liter distillations under my belt. But I felt confident enough that I went to this guy and was like, let's do this. I will toll process all your material. You sell it. Let's make a company. I need to make money for the rent this month. And so I put everything in. I took $2,500 as a loan from him to buy a, an Edwards 30. You know, that was all I needed was that Edwards 30 to be able to handle the two-liter short path. And Now, did you still have the two-liter short path from the CO2 lab? No, I used the money I had to just buy as many parts as I possibly could. And okay. mostly from – most of the stuff I actually got, Elliot taught me a lot of stuff. Like I went back the other day in a lot of messages on Facebook and I realized I never took a class with Elliot. But – Way back in the day, he was always available to try and, you know, what do you need? What do you need help with? And my trial and error was like, okay, we're going to turn on this pump and I'm going to heat this glass to 200 Celsius and hopefully nothing implodes and just went for it. So I bought roughly what I had had. Um, granted, I didn't have the filters. I didn't have nearly the stuff we had at that big lab, but I got enough gear together that I could work with whatever. And he got some material. We ran it. I made like... 500 grams and I made rent, you know, that was, that was step one, make rent. Mm -hmm. And then slowly it was make rent and I had a little extra money. And because I wanted to just get past that, get back out of that, get back to making a good amount of income, instead of taking that and putting it into um, toys or anything like that, I bought more gear. And I just keep de kept developing, and then I kept changing things. Like I'd message Elliot, and I mean, I think the reason why I have the relationship with Elliot that I do is because I would show him crazy ideas that I had after I started doing it, and he would tell me, that's not going to work. And I'd do it anyway. I'm like, and all I had to do was produce oil that still got you high by the end of the week or by the end of the month. So it wasn't really a huge concern what I did as long as I didn't ruin the material. Yeah. So I would send him videos and send him pictures and then I would tell him the results. And so I would try things and I'm like, that didn't work. Or I'd try something and be like, there's something here. And some of the first wide bore stuff is from like 2013, 2014. But it, a wide bore and, and hot condensing was from then. But and we didn't, I know who you're talking about as far as Elliot goes, but this oh, is yeah, Elliot yeah. from Summit Research. Right? Yeah, Elliot Valentine. I mean, that's <laughs> it was his name at the time on, on – uh, Facebook, and he's the owner of Summit Research Tech. Uh, so, yeah, sorry, I forget that I'm not just talking to you. <laughs> uh, first interview and all. Um, hey, I'm stoked to have it. <laughs> so with that, I started developing really quickly because I wanted to make more distillate as quick as I could. And the early short path days when you were trying to go for color, they would take you 24 hours or 36 hours on a two to two liter or five liter. Like it was short path, long day was the, the hashtag because it could take you literally all day because what you would do is you would set the temperature to where just the lightest boiling fraction would make it over 
the short path head. And it didn't make any sense other than it would give you the best color and it would give you a good potency and the stuff was stable as hell. So I needed my days to not be like that. But because I did that, I have the capability of staying up. The longest day I ever had on a short path was 84 hours on a, four, on a 20 liter. Because you don't want to take it apart and clean. And if you don't have somebody it, to tag out, you're you running. You can't turn it off. Yeah, yeah. So with a 20 liter on the old 4550 heads, if you turn it off with the heat and you don't pull it apart right away, it could weld the glass together. So as well as you can ruin the product because you want to get it off the heat as quick as possible. And the 84 hours was I had done all the prep work and somebody wanted it in like, what is that, like four days. And I was the only one there because – I had had two employees, but I, they left, you know, nobody believed in what I was trying to do. And later on, when I showed them where I had gotten, they were like, man, I should have stuck with you, <laughs> you know, cause it, it, and it, that's how it is. If you're, if you've got a drive and you really see something where it's going to go, a lot of times you end up being the only one and that's okay. Don't let it deter you from what you're doing. But I stuck with it. And 84 hours later, I got it done. I turned it in. I slept for two days. I was working with somebody who wanted to, uh, he was going to be the sales guy and I was just going to be producing in the lab. Uh, you know, the typical breaking bad concept actually. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't think of it at the time, but just, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what was going on. Um, and within two months or three months, it's, I, I had to take other tolls from other people. Um, I was finding people on Facebook or anywhere I could find them. Uh, because I wanted to make more money and I, I had open time. He would have me make like one run a week. And I'm like, I want to work, man. I don't want to sit here for three weeks and wait for you. Like, yeah, rent's paid, but come on. Yeah. So I started taking other tolls and he came in at one point and I'm like, you got to wait a week because I got to run this week. And he's like, what the heck? I'm like, I mean, I paid back the investment you gave me. At this point, this is my shop. You're only one of a bunch of people. And the amount of material I have right now is four times the amount that you're bringing me. So I'm going to take this toll right now because I'm not going to ruin a new client. Wait. So that happened, I think, once or twice over the course of a couple months. And he snaked my my one guy who was working there with me, who had worked for me prior at the, at the CO2 lab. And that guy, you know, I guess they had made the plan of, I know exactly what he's doing. I'll go run the lab the same. But he had only been doing half the process. He was doing winterization and distillation of the uh, the ethanol, kind of. I was doing most of it. I was doing everything distillation related uh, because it was my lab. I didn't want anything broken. We couldn't risk anything breaking. You know, it was anything glassware I touched because if it was going to break, it's on me. Mm-hmm. So he snaked my employee. Couldn't figure out why the guy wasn't showing up. And, and I was just going to do it anyway. It's like, fine, you're not here. I'll do the work. You know, don't have to pay somebody. And I find out he told me, he was just brutally honest. He's like, hey, man, I started working with him. Um, is that okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm cool with you because you told me, but fuck that guy. <laughs> so I disconnected with him completely. And at that point, I'm like, I'm getting some tolls, but I need to make my brand. And I want to try and actually start producing my own stuff. And I had enough money to, you know, get a batch of cartridges, get a batch of packaging. And I didn't know how to create a following at all, but I had somebody who was willing to actually like start making sales for me and I could just keep making material. So I kept taking tolls. I used to just toll material for everyone. That was just my thing. And the cartridges was kind of like, well, it's kind of cool. It's a little, little something going on, but not really major, but the Instagram got started sometime after that, 
like within about three or four months of me actually getting the logo. He gave me the logo and I was like, I'll make an Instagram just to keep my information. The Instagram started as a journal for me. I started posting pictures that were kind of like, oh, it's kind of pretty. Or I'm, it was just a, a note for, that I did. And I was like, I learned this here because I, I don't really write down notes. I've never taken notes. Um, I'm an auditory learner and probably pissed off a lot of teachers. They're like, how do you memorize all this stuff? I'm like, it, you said it to me. I know it. That's just how my brain works. Um, so doing the visual and a little bit of writing on the um, Instagram was a lot easier than me taking notes by hand. And plus also if you've ever been in a lab and tried to have paper that didn't get splashed with goo, uh -huh. you know, it's probably better to have it a digital concept. And then at least you can wipe down your phone if you really have to. I was just about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so with what you were doing at the time, w was there any concern at that date to, uh, about putting it up on oh, yeah. Instagram? Yeah. I mean, I was extremely secure, as, as secure as I could be. You know, the, uh, the, the boost phone, um, the secure email. I mean, I've, I've tried to do it as best I can. I mean, who knows? In four months, I could be jailed for trying to help people. It's terrible the way this country works, but I... I think all your shenanigans are, uh, you know, post-statute uh, of limitations by this point, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm done, and I'm not doing any of it anymore. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm done-done in a lot of ways, but when it comes to uh, that, I was definitely one of the first people to try it out, I think. Um, there was a, a couple forums on Facebook, but they would always get shut down. Uh, where we try to converse over stuff. But what I realized when I was trying to ask people questions or try to get help, because I didn't know much about Short Path, and Elliot knew only so much. There was only so much information out there, but everybody was doing it. Or not everybody, but there was a lot of people still doing it. A lot of people were like, you got to pay for that consulting. you got to pay for this information, and nobody's going to tell you that. And I'm like, well, that's just wrong. Let's talk a little bit about Short Path, actually. So, you know, part of what you're really well known for is – this whole short path tech post from Future 4200 that I brought up before, uh, basically breaking down what your SOPs for short path were. Went through all the stuff, people started chiming in, it was fantastic, but like my understanding of that is the, the main ones are the, the change in the configuration of the glass from the, the way folks were doing it prior to you just kind of deciding to throw the standards out the window and start screwing around with stuff. Nature science right there. Um, and then uh, and then also the the hot condenser tech and the change in the temperatures that people weren't using up to that point. Talk to me about, you know, you're starting to do the short path stuff. Uh, you don't want the short path long day. You're, you're, yeah. you're tweaking these settings. What does that look like? So it started out, I wanted to try and remove heads fraction, the turp fraction. If you've done short path distillation, these terms might be potentially something you remember because the original... Where these terms came from is Elliot had the, the treasure chest on the Summit Research webpage. And that was the easiest way to learn how to do short path was his confusing writings he did back in there that were really weird. He would use terms like heads fraction and terpschwitz and uh, tails fraction. And heads comes before the main body, which your main body is your cannabinoid fraction. Your tails is what comes out afterwards. And I wanted to figure out how to get rid of terps and heads and get into the main body as quick as possible. And so I did two condensers with a what is actually a distillation head, but it's just a very small one. 
um, set in between so that I can have a flask in the middle and heat up the material so that the heads fraction actually distilled across that space and drop the main body into it. And so that was my first real experimentation as well as I had done about the same time I was also doing tall columns because I figured the best way to get that really high purity is to do a super tall column so that you have all that fractionation. Mm-hmm. read about uh, Vigru columns and, and uh, the different types of uh, theoretical plates. And so I was trying different things with that. But between those two things, I was trying to find that happy medium. So that was my first iteration. The thing that came a little bit later is I got really tired of GL connections. Um, you'd always end up with splits on the seals and then also sometimes getting the the tubing on there would suck. And if you got rid of the whole GL connection and went over the, the threaded area of the glass, when you go to pull that off, sometimes you move stuff and break the glass. And so trying to get away from that as well. And I figured based on my knowledge of engines and whatnot, I mean, my whole family is like a series of either mechanics or they work in other fields, but most of them are mechanics. I mean, my uncle worked with NASCAR and a bunch of stuff. So my understanding was just go as wide of a bore as you can so that you can suck out all that stuff to the pump. You know, use the pump as another cold trap. You know, if you consider that it doesn't have just one use, you know, why not do that? So So you're trying to suck contaminants into your pump oil? Yeah. (laughs) And at the time, I also was not changing the oil. The first time I remember changing the oil after doing all this for a couple weeks and Elliot was like, you don't change your oil every time? I'm like, no, we didn't have gauges. I mean, I'm doing all this in the dark. All I had was the temperature gauge of the boiling flask and watching the head. There was no, there's nothing else. It was, you know, wild west. So I changed that pump oil and it was just black. Like, and there was sludge that came out. Smelled great. Oh, Oh, that's one of the least favorite smell on the planet is, I mean, we, we call that anger molecule because if it got on you, it made you angry the rest of the day because it never got off you. So yeah, it's uh that was pretty nasty, but I've always considered the pump is since then, I've always considered it another coal trap. And so, I mean, we were talking about your, your logo and how it looks really similar to a manifold I made. The reason for the different outlets and not just going to multiple pumps in one line is one of them would go to your uh, soak pump. I called it a soak pump. It was, it was a Sojavac. So I called it a soak pump. And I called it that because I would use it to just suck in as much terps as I could. I had a cold trap, but I would suck in as much terps as I could into it as fast as I could to just rush past that fraction. And then I'd close off the valve and I'd go to the first Edwards 30. You know, you close and open really quickly. The pump's already on. So yeah. try not to blow yourself up again. You'll learn. (laughs) And so you go into the second pump, and that gets you through the heads fraction all the way into the main body. And it will suck in some of the terp fraction. Like So every time you contaminate a pump with terp fraction or heads fraction, the oil is no longer pure. And so it starts releasing gases back into your system, which allows you to only get so far in the vacuum depth. So then you go into the third pump, and that's your main body pump. And sometimes with those three pumps, even on a 20 liter, I could hit four micron on just an Edwards 30 on a short path in the first pass. And when you go below a certain depth, not only does the speed happen, the purity increases in that single pass, as well as um, you see different type of flow rates, which there's a lot of benefits from going between 10 and 4 micron. And I was seeing these reactions, and I think it was Photon Yor who mentioned to me, oh, that's the Knudsen flow. And I was like, what's the Knudsen flow? And he's like, oh, at four micron, distillation changes. And I'm like, I've seen this idea, but I didn't know it was a thing. 
And so I was learning chemistry backwards in a lot of ways because I, I had minimal experience with, you know, the reading I could find because there's no information on high vacuum distillation. Especially for cannabis, yeah. Oh, yeah, cannabis. That, I had to look for other avenues like, what do I term this? Like, I didn't even know what, what terms to use. I mean, the idea of wide bore or hot condensing, most of the time the Instagram – we just named things whatever we thought we would call it and then put the word tech at the end, T-E-K, because it was like, it's, it's just that. You have yeah. bucket tech, you have all sorts of techs. But a lot of that is just us trial and error and finding something and then putting out the information. I mean, that stuff that you guys were all working on during this time is still, I mean, that paved the way for you go to a mega, mega lab, like a, one of these giant hemp CBD facilities and they've, where they've got enormous wiped film units, the temperature settings that were established during this time aren't far off from what yeah. you what you published. I mean, I got down to – at a certain point, I feel like I, it became a pissing contest for myself. It was just how far can I go with this because I, I only had to work two weeks out of the month and I was making good money. So those two weeks, I would really set up experiments. And as long as I produced the material somebody wanted, it didn't matter what I did to it to make it there. And nobody was in charge of what money was going back into the company at all. So I could make choices on what gear I would want to buy. And I have a lot of extra glassware that's lots of experimentation later. But the temperatures, I got down to 123.3 on the boiling flask as far as a boiling temperature of THC with a vacuum depth of 10 to the negative 10 uh, tor, which... If you're in, you only see that in deep space. Like it doesn't usually exist. But yeah, I've never seen a system get that low. Somebody, I think it was Photon as well. Photon was actually a really influential person when I first was starting because I didn't know who to talk to. And he has experiment experience in chemistry and physics way before cannabis. Mm -hmm. So I think he was the one that told me that THC has a, it's called a vapor pressure. At 25C of 4.8 times 10 to the negative 6, or it's 4.6 times 10 to the negative 8, one of those two. Either way, what that means is that you can't smell it. It doesn't want to vaporize. It doesn't want to be in the air. It doesn't even want to be anything but a liquid or a solid. It prefers to be one of those two. So the reason why it's such a high temperature is because it would rather be a liquid, not vaporizing up a column. And a lot of the early distillations, if you watch, they flood the column and they're throwing stuff over because mm -hmm. it's just it's coming out so quickly that it – you know, it ends up being a liquid coming straight over. That's improper. Uh, you should never see any any bumping in the head. But when I learned the ultimate vacuum, what I tried to do was get close to that, and I exceeded it. My my gauge bottomed out, and then I was boiling below a temperature that anything had ever been registered. I don't know if anybody's ever beaten that or could tell me if that's correct, but it was 123.3 and 10 to the negative 10. So I went as far as I could possibly go with it. That material when you drop something on it, it bounced like it was glass and I still can do it. It just, at a certain point I realized past 10 to the negative five, there's no real benefit. You, you change about every, every 10th, you change about three degrees in boiling point. So there's, there's relatively no difference and it doesn't change the end product, but how far does that rabbit hole go? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's where I was, what I was getting at earlier when we were talking about, you know, the fascination and the passion behind it. Like that's what keeps people going. Yeah. The paycheck's great, but yeah. like yeah. I, I doing mean, new things. Is if cool. I had at least had comfort and somebody said, 
go nuts in the lab, I would have totally been just as happy, you know, and I, I didn't really take much money out of the company. I really just kept putting it in because the learning was what I was interested in. You know, I definitely wanted to go as fast as possible, but I also really was curious what was going on because before this experience with cannabis distillation, my experience was in desalination of water. Those were my projects every year when I was growing up. For some reason, I've always been fascinated with distillation. Like I did desalination for science class like four years in my elementary school because I was totally into it. Then when I was in high school, we made an alcohol still to make a, I made 86% ethanol on two passes and we made every, you know, every four days we could make up to 16 liters. So made for uh, some pretty popular people in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that you were talking about high school science class at first. Oh no, <laughs> this was a, a home, home brew. My, my, our parents did not know exactly what we were doing, but they left us alone to our own devices and then realized after a couple months of us doing that, this probably isn't legal or right to be doing. So, you know, we, we had our fun, but uh, I mean, looking at it now, I think I think honestly we were we had actually back even back then had adjusted what we had seen people do as far as distillation apparatuses, and actually improved on it as high school students. So I've always been into trying just improve the design. Well, I mean, it certainly it certainly has worked with the short path. Yeah. And uh, and even even from then you went on to wipers, which I was very surprised when you started showing off what you were working with with the wiper on uh, on Instagram. And then I was watching your live videos where you're pointing at things with a chopstick and talking to everybody that's on, uh, on <laughs> yeah. the TV. This, yeah. this is much more recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's been a few years, but I mean, most of the development during that time period uh, was mostly just uh, fixing tiny changes with short path. I mean the. The basic principles were there, wide stir bar, um, wide bore in general, uh, hot condensing, deep vacuum, um, pre-processing or mid-processing, uh, water, water washes. Like lots of stuff was pretty much there. But once I, once I had written out the head design and actually figured out what I really found was the best head design and I had finished with short path, I'd been doing wipers in the background. I've been a, I was a consultant for a number of wiper companies. I mean, I understood the concept, but to me, the difference really for the end user or a company owner is how much money do you have to invest? How much product are you trying to make? So if I consider a week, the amount of time, like that's how much do you want to make in one week? So if you're going to do a run and you only need to make 10 liters every week, go with a short path. If you also, though, have $100,000 to burn, you can go with a wiper if you want to. If you want to produce every hour you need to make a certain amount per week, go with a wiper if you have the money. If you don't have the money, I mean, you still got to go with a short path. You'll get to the wiper eventually. But I feel like they're, they're kind of two different animals as well. So I didn't have a wiper for a lot of that time because short path was cheaper and I just kept building. It's like... It's like getting that project car and you just keep dumping money into that one thing and maybe you trade it for something better, but you're still working with what you got instead of just throwing the whole project away and getting an entirely new machine. I got a wiper, I think, three years into breaking dabs, but it, uh, a couple things broke almost immediately. It was a, a wiper from China 
And honestly, I still have it. I love it. It's great. But the original one, I had gotten started and then had to move it to a new location because we were actually getting a nicer facility. And it broke in transit. And I'd only had it through testing. And it was one of those things where I spent 40 grand and was like, oh, no. Like, I, yeah. the entire wiper body. It was a, oh. an eight-inch eight inch wide by 40 inches long giant piece of glass that cost me about 17K to replace. Yeah, jacketed glass. I've actually purchased a replacement for one of those eight-inch yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. machines yeah. myself. Totally talked That's about why this. I had that extra basket yeah. to give you. Yeah, yeah. That, the light bulbs <laughs> just went off on that one. So yeah. that exact system broke on me. And um, I just had to put away the concept of being able to get into wiper. I was so sad because I'm like, I just want to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to have some time to sleep. And this giant wiper was going to produce in one day what it would take me a week to do. You know, and that was that was the end goal. But because I didn't have one to show and I didn't want to purchase like a brand new Pope or something where it's like 40 grand for this tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, those things only, they max out at what I can produce with a two or five liter. Why do I need that? You yeah. know? So... I didn't really show it on the page because I wasn't in a lab constantly to be able to answer questions or, or test different ideas. You know, most of the stuff I had to follow a basic SOP, give the person the basic SOP, and then I was done. Yeah. So what do I really get to do with that? But once I finished with the short path and I was able to get that second glass unit and actually get it set up, I knew how it was supposed to work because from, I think, going with short path first – there's so many things you learn that by the time you get to wiper, you have so many options. It's like you want something to be at the temperature you want it to boil at by the time it gets to the wiper because then it's done. Then you can distill more. So how do you do that? You want the cold traps to be as cold as possible and you want a series of them because if this thing's meant to be on for multiple times, you don't use that pump as a soak pump. Put more cold traps. Make them very efficient. There's little you know, little things in there that you want to try and find. And then there's different passes. There's different ways to do those passes because sometimes you want to pull off the terps as soon as the material makes it into the column. So you have a connection to your cold traps at the top. Sometimes you want to get rid of heads for action while you're doing main body. You want the connection at the bottom. And what I've been doing with uh, Indofab is actually we've been working on our own wiper design that encompasses a lot of the different things that I've found so that somebody can actually make a, or somebody can buy a wiper that will do everything they need it to and still be cost effective. Because a lot of, I mean, I'm not trying to really shit talk anybody's company, but a lot of times what I find is that it's either too expensive and it doesn't make any sense why it's that price other than people th- still think wipers are novelties. Well, and the green tax thing's kind of fading away a little bit. Yeah, it finally is, yeah. I, but the, at the same time, the reason why it's fading away is the price of the material that you produce is way lower, so it's not really as worth it anymore to, yeah. to buy the big gear, sadly. But the other part of it is I really feel like they charge a green tax and they don't really put the money or their effort into the design. They're taking old technology and just saying, this is good enough, sell it. Yeah, but nobody's doing it as like specifically designed for cannabis. That's not a thing. No, because wipers were originally designed to work on really low boiling point, very uh, easily damaged by heat chemicals. And while cannabinoids can actually be damaged by heat pretty easily, they have such a different heat range. And the products that you're putting it in in it are so diverse. Like there's such a difference between ethanol extract and BHO extract as well as how many different other compounds are in those extracts. And you're putting in a very basic, un, 
cleaned material into this wiper and expecting it to do all of this work. And while that totally does happen, and there's ways to deal with that, I feel like, yeah, the, again, the short path or the wiper is not actually designed for cannabinoids, as you're saying. But what we're trying to do is actually fix that. That's and great. The difference, people don't even realize that there's a difference between the width of a wiper and the length. And depending on the length, you'll have a level of separation. Depending on the width is how much you can do. Yeah. But length is residence time, basically, right? Yeah. Well, it's if you imagine at the beginning, it has like 90% cannabinoids. Like say, say you put in some really good material. That doesn't make sense. Let's put in 50% at the top. Yeah. By the time you get halfway, you should be at like, say, 30 or 25. And by the end, you should get to like 5 to 10. And then you should have, you know, your, your tar layer and your cannabinoid layer, cannabinoid-rich layer. So that will set your speed. But if you come in at a different temperature, that sets something different. You can also recirculate the material back through it, actually pull out extra material, which could go into a separate vessel. They don't do that. You don't have recirculations in wipers. You don't have the ability to, I'm, I mean, I'm giving away all my secrets, but not really. There's so many other things that we've made additions to with the system. But well, And I've been going back with Indofab a little bit about like, oh, let's do an episode when you're ready to drop all this oh, stuff. Oh, man, getting him so, in here would be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I good. mean, technically, I'm kind of an employee there now. I mean, we're, we're actually like working together. It's kind of nice. weird, but like I'm actually instead of being in a lab, I'm I'm doing I'm I'm making shovels. I'm learning how to weld. I'm doing you know stuff I've never done before, but also getting back into what I did with guitars and and making knives. Like I feel more in my comfort zone in a lot of ways because the idea of just having to look over your shoulder or just concentrate on the fact that you have material that's like twenty thousand dollars in front of you in a single jar, and if you drop it, all of your money is gone. Yeah. You know, that's, that's hard to work with. So yeah, that, it would be interesting to get Brandon in here, but, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. You should talk to him about doing it. Cause then he'll maybe come down here. Absolutely. I got a background in fabrication too, so I can, I can talk that talk if I need yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's an interesting character. He didn't come from, from cannabis either. We all have, you know, interesting backgrounds that end up sticking with it, but you know, he's, he's a different person with a lot of skills out of, outside this, the industry of cannabis, but I mean, he's he's actually a really well-trained technician when it comes to, like, working with steels and working with different metals. So the quality on there, part of the reason why I decided, oh, I'm going to go work with this company directly is not only because we get along, but, like, the quality level is above and beyond. Like, his knowledge is to the point where I'm like, what's that smell? And why are you wearing that that giant, you know, mask while you're welding? It's like, oh, the chromium, hexachroma, whatever the heck it is when you're doing with stainless. And I'm like what is that? He's like, it's real bad for you. You shouldn't, you shouldn't inhale that. I'm like, Oh, okay. Thanks. Why does nobody pay attention to that? <laughs> you know, but he's got such a background outside of this that, I mean, it's a benefit for sure. Well, when the time comes and you guys are ready to drop that machine, maybe we can get you both yeah. up in here. It should be soon. I mean, we've got the, the prototype nearly done. Um, we're working with a company to use their wiper as the prototype. And then we've kind of made additions and changes to it and then built around it. Like it's a modular setup because what I really have always been about is the R and D. So if you can build yourself a basic modular setup and you want to experiment or change something like work with CBD versus THC, or you want to separate cannabinoids, which can happen on a wiper, you can split cannabinoids. If you wanted to do that, the setup should allow you to, you shouldn't have a one trick pony. You know, you don't have to make a machine that is only good at one thing because sometimes like I found with, with, especially with like effects, like digital effects, if you get an effects pedal that does more than one thing, it usually does everything kind of okay. 
But if you get in a pedal that only does distortion, it does it really well. Mm -hmm. But there's a way to make both, but it's usually 10 times more effort. So I've already done the work, I've already done the research, I've already done the paying for the R&D. So at this point, we're just trying to put it all together and uh, put it in one package. That's fantastic, man. That's exciting. All right. That seems like a good spot to cut today's episode to be continued next week. Thanks again to Breaking Dabs for joining us today. You can find him on Instagram at breaking.dabs. As always, if you want to hear about something specific on this show, let me know. Email me, jason at modernextractor.com. Make sure to follow the show on Instagram at the underscore modern underscore extractor. If you guys are digging what I'm doing here, show me some love. Please leave me a review on Apple or Google Podcasts. The more subscribers and better reviews we get, the better guests I can keep booking for you here in the future. Make sure to give Eco Green Industries a call next time you need some high quality solvents or extraction grade gas. Use promo code MODEX, that's M-O-D-E-X, for 10% off your first order. Stay tuned for next week, where we will be joined once again by Breaking Dabs for part two of our conversation. We're going to get technical and dive deep into the SOPs for water clear distillate, Breaking Dabs style. A big thanks to the guys at Alt Powerhouse Studios in Barcelona for the hospitality and for letting me record my intros and outros to these interviews during my time here. Thank you to Isado Venegas for handling business on the show's social media, and a shout out to the new fools for bringing the funk to the Mod X theme song. Thanks again to everybody for tuning into The Modern Extractor. New episodes are out every Tuesday. I'm Jason Showered. Let's talk soon.